You're listening to Postpartum Pieces, a sub-series of the Mummy Republic podcast, featuring educational conversations with professionals to help you get through postpartum life the best you can. Today's topic is infant sleep. I'm joined by Christy Griffiths from The Sleep Teacher, who is a qualified sleep consultant. Okay, Christy, we all know that sleep is a hot topic when it comes to babies because let's face it, in the beginning, especially, we just don't get a lot of sleep and there are things that we can start to implement early on that will help everyone get a good sleep. What are those types of things? Um, Yeah, so you're definitely right there. We all want sleep. Um, So I think the best thing you can do from an early, early on um, is establish sort of three core healthy sleep associations and they are white noise, dark room, and a swaddle. Those things, those three factors are going to help mimic the sensations of the womb um, that our babies have grown to know um, over that nine months and help keep them um, settled and less fussy um, and ensure that they're going to also have deep restorative phases of sleep. So um, they're very, very positive associations. All of them, all three are going to help prompt your little one to know what's about to happen and what is naturally going to happen in that sleep. So they will, um, over time, if used consistently, um, start to, you'll notice the minute you pull that sleeping bag out, they start to arch their back and they know that sleep's coming. You turn the white noise on, they know sleep's coming. So they're all really positive um, sleep factors you can start to um, introduce from an early age. Mm -hmm. And particularly in the new days, I think a lot of people um, get concerned that if they're, you know, have a baby in a carrier or the baby's sleeping on them, that they're going to do long-term damage to the sleep routine. What are your thoughts there? Uh, so I think a, a, you know, naps in the carrier, they're, they're those um, little koala naps they're called, um, they are very, you know, comforting for a baby. Um, I would definitely recommend though trying to ensure that you Aim for at least one to two naps a day in their bassinet or their cot, wherever your little one is going to be sleeping. Because if they only know to nap in that carrier, then that's going to be all they do know. So as time goes on um, and we try to put them in their bassinet overnight, they're going to, you know, fight that and think, oh, well, this is a foreign environment. I don't know what this is. I don't want to sleep here. I usually sleep in the carrier. So um, Mm -hmm. that's where you can start to see that it can have a negative impact on sleep. But absolutely, there's no problem with having those naps on the go and those naps in in the pram and the carrier. Um, But I would just be mindful that long term, we do want to um, ideally have our baby sleeping in the the bassinet um, and cot. And I know as a mum, you definitely do um, want those sleeps overnight um, rather than them laying on you. So um, that would be something I would just be mindful of as time goes on. Yep, yep, 100%. And it's more about getting those associations in early, like you said. I think with daytime naps, it can be a little bit hard to navigate, particularly again in the early days. Is it all about learning cues or are there a certain sort of time frame that babies should be napping at those ages? Um, So definitely with a newborn. Look, I wouldn't even stress the importance of a routine as such to probably, you know, three and a half, four months, you're really going to be banging your head up against the wall to try to um, implement and achieve a consistent routine before that that age. And even once they reach that sort of, you know, three and a half months, it is still a loose routine. So um, I would absolutely not put that pressure on yourself. I would definitely, though, by all means, watch their wake windows. So make sure that for a newborn, probably anywhere between 45 to 60 minutes, once they're sort of getting closer to 
two to three months. It might be more like, you know, 75 minutes. But realistically, that's the amount of time they're from when they're woken from their nap to when they're down again asleep. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely by paying attention to those, you, you'll find that they're going to not only nap longer, but they're also going to not fight get um, going down for that nap. So they're going to be much easier to settle. And when it comes to those cues um, to maybe start that routine or, yeah. or getting into the habit of reading them a book or whatever the case is, what type of things might you see from a newborn that would suggest that they're ready? Uh, sure. So usually this is the thing, right? So I think um, after speaking with a lot of clients, sort of what I usually find is most parents, and I, I used to do this myself, um, you would say, oh, they're yawning or they're rubbing their eyes. They're tired. I'll start, you know, I'll start getting them a bottle or giving them a breastfeed and we'll start getting them ready for bed. <laughs> By that point, they're already overtired. So it's the, the best, the um, most accurate sort of thing to follow is red eyebrows, staring. If they're starting to stare and they're looking a little bit glazed and they're getting the red eyebrows, that's time to quick, quick, quick. Uh, train line to bed so start winding them down um swaddle them change their nappy um whatever you do before they go down but that is your cue to get them in by the time they start yawning and rubbing their eyes we've essentially missed that boat and they're they're starting to become overtired so and just to clarify overtired um i think there's a big misconception there that people think oh well if they haven't had enough sleep they'll just you know sleep through because they'll catch up It, isn't it? Yeah, sleep encourages sleep. So um, when we become overtired, our little ones become overtired, their, their cortisol levels are starting to rise, so their stress hormones. So they're naturally a lot harder to not only um, put to sleep but also stay asleep. So they really struggle to get into a deep restorative phase of sleep. So you can con- continue to keep your child up all day thinking they're going to sleep all night, but that it actually has the opposite um, effect. So don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and I know from experience if, um, you know, Archer is overtired, I'll find that he might go down okay, but then he finds it really difficult to transfer through his um, sleep cycles. Yes. So yep. that can be a bit of a pain Yeah, too. there's much shorter naps usually. Um, if, they're, if they're going down overtired, you might sort of see that 20 to 30 minute nap. But if, if um, and then overnight sleep cycles would be closer to sort of two hours versus the four hours which they could do so um yeah definitely it's in your best interest to really watch those those wake windows and get them down before they become overtired absolutely that's great advice now you touched on before about really not stressing about it in the first three and a half months and again I think there's a massive misconception of you need to get them into a routine straight away and people get quite stressed about it um what would be the ideal age in your opinion to actually start looking at sleep training if you're finding that you need that extra support so I start working with clients from um four months of age and the reason I do recommend sort of well the reason I do only work from um, four months of age is because a baby's sleep isn't mature until that point so I find that if we're trying to implement settling techniques and things like that beforehand it can become a little bit um, overwhelming for the parents because it naturally things are changing so rapidly and their little minds and, and brains are developing um, and their sleep isn't mature. So there's so many cons- constant changes in those early uh, few weeks. But once mm-hmm. we hit four months of age, their sleep is mature and we know that it is a permanent change to their sleep um, and we can start to introduce um, and implement some settling techniques and routines um, and they're going to 
you know, some, be somewhat more consistent than they would have earlier on. You know, we talk a lot about the four-month sleep regression. Yes. How do you feel that? <laughs> I actually never really realised it was a thing oh, until. I didn't either when I had my, it was it actually wasn't a spoken thing when I had my first two. And then um, when I had Hattie, I was like, wow, okay, this, this thing, that this regression they're all speaking about, it's real because it, it literally comes out of nowhere. <laughs> And um, so, so you do see it as well as a sleep teacher oh, you think that it's a valid yeah so thing. oh absolutely like and and to be honest I think that out of all the regressions a four-month regression all of the others like the four-month regression yes it is essentially it is developmental but the other regressions um like the eight month 12 month they're all developmental in terms of um walking crawling talking standing those sort of things that will impact sleep whereas the four-month regression is that's when their sleep's matured. So they're starting to now produce their own sleep hormones. So that's where it is a permanent change, whereas the other regressions are more like a, a phase that we need to just sort of get through and, and help um, assist our child through as they navigate and master these new skills that they're learning. But the four-month regression, yes, it is definitely a thing. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it, it, it usually does just appear out of nowhere. But I think that's a good way of explaining it too, that it is, you know, just that transition for the child in getting used to proper sleep. Oh, you know, absolutely. Like and that's it. Like, and I think I, I, I get a lot of emails and, and think messages through Instagram and whatnot asking, oh, you know, how long does the four month reg- sleep regression last? And it is a permanent change. Like it will last as long <laughs> as you allow it to last. So those changes, if you're noticing your baby's doing 30 to 40 minute naps now and they're waking every two hours of night, they will continue to do that until we make changes. It isn't something that they're just going to, to phase out of. So mm. yeah. It is the best time to get on top of it if, but only if it's not working for you. If it's working for you, keep doing it. Don't stress that someone's told you that you need to do sleep training and that your baby shouldn't be waking two hours a night. If it works for you and you're happy with that, don't stress about it. But if you want, if you can't sustain that and you do want to get some more sleep, then yeah, four months is definitely the best time to make some changes because the associations they've got also aren't as strong at that age. So they're not as entrenched as they will be at six or seven months of age because they've only been doing it for a short time. Mm, that's a great point and probably a great segue too because I think a lot of people associate sleep programs or sleep training with just crying it out because once yeah. upon a time that's all there was Absolutely, but yep. how would you how would you explain it to somebody who's never actually used a program themselves okay so with and, and that again that is something I get asked all the time and um I really like to stress the importance that um Look, probably 50% of the time, most of the clients I work with, um, they don't actually need to use any form of sleep training, like the methods as such. They just need to change, have a little bit of tweaking to their sleep environment or sleep routine. Um, It doesn't necessarily always involve settling. And even if it does involve settling, um, we offer, in our sleep guides, we offer at least three different methods that you can use, um, two of which are usually in the room depending on the age of the child at least two are in the room and one might be small increments in and out of the room and those that those methods with the in and out of the room that's usually some babies become so so stimulated by you sitting next to their cot so that's why we offer those for those specific children so it really really depends on the child and the parent as well because everyone parents differently everyone's comfortable with different things so that's why we like to offer different um, methods for for those so those families that like, um, you know, in the room or out of the room methods and mm. also depending on the child's personality as well, they will respond differently. 
I think that's a really important point in itself is that every child and every parent is so different and it's not a one size fits all. And I think we get caught up in that a little bit to look at what other people are doing. Yeah. And that's where, so basically back to the sleep, um, we were just talking about sleep training with the sleep guides, it's almost like a checklist. You need to go through and you need, and it's exactly what I would do when I'm having a consult, right? So we go through and we're like, let's talk about sleep environment. Let's talk about wake windows. Let's talk about routine. Let's talk about feeds. Let's talk about solids. So we go through and we look at all those factors that can contribute to sleep and we, it helps us identify exactly what is causing the, um, the issue that, that they're having. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean, and actually it definitely does not mean that you're going to be leaving your child to, to cry and cry and cry. I think that's, that's a good thing to clear up. Um, now, obviously, again, it's very individual and it depends on, on your family and your situation, but when it comes to sleep, yeah. what are the common, and I don't want to say mistakes, but what are the common issues that you might see that can be tweaked that might help affect Bub's sleep? Uh, so it's usually to do with those, um, I guess we we as sleep consultants refer to them as negative sleep associations. So there's positive and negative sleep association. A positive sleep association is something your child associates with sleep um, and it helps, it doesn't have a negative impact on their sleep. So something like the white noise or the sleeping bag, great. Um, mm-hmm. the, a dummy, if they're old enough to find that dummy and pop it back in and they transition into another deep phase of sleep. Um, a negative impact, a negative sleep association would be um, something like a dummy if they're, you know, three or four or five months of age where they physically can't pop it back in themselves and they're waking every sleep cycle for you to go and do that dummy rum and pop it back in um, or a um, feeding to sleep or rocking to sleep. Those sort of associations that your child needs to physically fall asleep and then therefore they're going to naturally look for it after they go through their sleep cycles and they're transitioning through a light phase of sleep, they they have a partial wake up and naturally they are not going to be able to transition into another phase of sleep if they are relying on something like that to fall asleep. They need that same association to stay asleep. So that's where the dummy or the rocking to sleep or the feeding to sleep can definitely become um, a negative sleep association. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. And, you know, feeding to sleep works really, really well while it works, but sometimes and more often than not it gets to the point where it stops having that impact um, and it doesn't work as well as it used to and that's when clients will will come to me and um, yeah and we'll we'll look at a solution. Mm. And I suppose it is just an evolution like anything with parenting you know you have to change what you're doing as they grow and they adjust so just probably being conscious of it. Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice that you would give to parents trying to navigate through getting their children to sleep? Um, patience. <laughs> patience is a big thing. So even when working with clients, like I always stress, you know, we have to be 100% consistent for at least two weeks to see everything mm-hmm. fall into place. You might see small things sort of fall into place and that's great, but we need to still be 100% consistent for two weeks to see sort of all the changes um, come to fruition. And then after that, you can start to sort of back off how consistent you've been and you'll notice because your little one, um, naturally, that's, that's, that's their new, um, new routine and they know what, what happens at bedtime and it just becomes their new norm. So um, consistency and patience are definitely going to be your best friend. And um, I think, again, like I've mentioned a few times now, 
if you are doing something just because someone's making you making you feel guilty for doing it if it's working for you don't worry about it keep doing it there is no wrong you're not harming your baby by doing you know by feeding them to sleep or rocking them to sleep um it is a beautiful thing but um just i guess be mindful that if you're feeling those effects of sleep deprivation chances are your little one is too because they're up the exact same amount of times you are if not more overnight so um, if it's starting to have an impact on you, then it's more than likely starting to have an impact on your little one's um, growth and development as well, because they need they need healthy sleep to grow grow and develop. So that's probably when I would recommend, yeah, looking at, at implementing a few little tweaks and some changes that could mean more sleep for all of you. Um, but mm. yeah, I, I just I I don't like parents feeling the pressure that they have to change things because it's not what you know, society deems normal because, you know, what what is normal these days, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's to your point, you both have to be ready for it yeah. as well. Um, if the feeding to sleep is something that you want to hang on to or, or anything really, the cuddling, then do what works for you. But then when it's, yeah, time to look at something different, then, you know, there's options available. And I think that's an important message. Yeah, there definitely itself. is. And um, like we've spoken about, sleep training does sort of sometimes get a bit of a bad rap, but it does not mean sitting there and leaving your, sitting outside your door, your child's door while they scream for hours and hours and hours on end. Um, it, it can just be a matter of changing a routine or, a bedtime association so don't fear sleep training <laughs> absolutely yes very very solid message there well thank you so much for joining me Christy I will put all of your details in the show notes because um, everyone can find you over on Instagram and you have such amazing advice on there as well in terms of just general queries and it's always good to just have that point of call and reference from a professional opinion as opposed to you know everybody's got their advice when it comes oh, to parenting yes I like um, to keep it realistic because I as I said I'm a mum to three myself and I know that you know there is no one size fits all and um yeah and sometimes you do need to sort of t- um, give advice as you'd like to take it so I'll put all of your details in the show notes so that everyone can touch base with you if they need to but thank you again so much for joining me thanks for having me thanks Christy bye Sleep is certainly a hot topic for any new mother, so I hope you got as much value out of that one as I did. A few quick things that I took away from Christy's conversation is her suggestions around positive sleep associations. She says that white noise, dark rooms and a sleep swaddle are essential when it comes to getting babies to have a good sleep. You can start these behaviours from an early age to help your child identify sleep times. She also highlighted that one of the biggest factors when it comes to good sleep is identifying those awake times, making sure that you've got them appropriate for the age of your child and keeping an eye on sleep cues. I've popped all of her details into the show notes for a point of call and if you haven't done so already make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you can join me next week as well. If you're on Instagram head on over to at mummy republic podcast for more information on the postpartum sub series and the main podcast and the guests that are involved. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to speaking with you next time.